another week, another podcast. I'm Father Roderick, and this is my weekly show dedicated to the world of faith, geekdom, movies, TV, technology, science fiction, books, you name it, all included in the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy, or not. And in case you don't enjoy this show, then of course you can always hop over to the next podcast. It's up to you. It's on demand. But uh, I know that uh, some of you at least are listening, and so are my patrons, those of you that support me on a monthly basis. If you want to join them and help out a little bit uh, financing uh, the production of this show and uh, the other podcast, the walk that I make, as well as uh, my video productions, then go over to patreon.com slash Father Roderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I built Paris this weekend, and it was awesome. <laughs> I built Paris with Legos, but uh, I created this little architecture skyline, which is, uh, these sets are so cool. They're super tiny. They're micro scale, even even micro, micro scale, because the Hogwarts castle was already micro scale. So this is even smaller. And just with a few bricks and pieces, they kind of simulate important buildings. The Eiffel Tower, of course, has to be there. You've got the, the Grand Palais, uh, the Arc de Triomphe, the Tour Montparnasse, and then the Louvre Museum, as well as the Champs-Élysées. If you do the, the um, uh, what is it, the Arc de Triomphe, then of course you also have to do that famous avenue that is used every year for the Tour de France. Um, it's a really lovely, tiny little set. You can check it out on my YouTube channel. Uh, that's youtube.com slash fatherroderick. And don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel while you're at it so you won't miss my live streams. Um, but that's not all I did uh, this weekend. It was a very busy weekend. We've switched one of our parishes to to the Saturday evening Mass. So basically, Sunday it's the eve of the Sunday in, in the Catholic tradition. You can already celebrate Sunday on the evening before. It goes back to an old Jewish tradition where all the feasts already started the evening before the actual feast day. So Catholics can fulfill their, their weekly duties by going to a Saturday evening Mass uh, instead of Sunday. Uh, I, I work in two parishes that comprise a total of 15 churches where they celebrate Mass in most cases, but also sometimes when there's not a priest available, and we are three priests in, the, in for these 13 parishes, for 15 parish churches. So you can imagine that we can't celebrate Masses in all these churches every weekend, so sometimes they will have other types of services. But... This one, this is the church next to where I live. So the rectory, my rectory is part of that, you know, the jo- Church of St. Joseph's. It's a smaller community in a village, but with a wide reach in the newer um, neighborhoods that were built just recently in the past 10 years. So uh, we've been working really hard to get families in the church. It's right at one point, uh, of course, now, now that the, not every community can have a mass anymore there was this opportunity of celebrating mass on saturday evening because then there's always a priest available i'm available every saturday evening um, and my fellow priests are also uh, willing and available from time to time to to celebrate mass so we did that on saturday but really tried to make it a, a, a kind of a festive start so we had like a, a 
cakes. The, 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 a number of people were baking lots of cakes, and so we had a, a, a tasting of that after Mass. And uh, we had marshmallows for the kids in a campfire where they could roast the marshmallows. I'd never done that before in my life, ever. <laughs> it's something that I knew from the movies, um, and, and mostly American movies. It's not a Dutch tradition. But apparently this is, uh, this is a thing now in the Netherlands where we roast marshmallows. So I did that Saturday evening. It was fun. It was very gooey and very sugary. And I still prefer to roast, I don't know, meat, <laughs> sausages instead of marshmallows. But it was, it was fun anyway. And uh, so that was, that was a good start. And then uh, Sunday, the usual two masses. And I, I was a bit tired afterwards. I didn't do any streaming. Um, I played a little bit... Uh, on the the VR Skyrim VR on the Oculus Go, and I followed uh, the the papal visit to Africa. Um, we live in such great times where, in the past, when John Paul II would visit all these faraway countries, you'd get you know if you were lucky, you could catch a summary on the news or on TV, and that would be it. Now you can follow everything live. There were live transmissions from the three countries that he visited. So he went to Mozambique first. Um, then he went to Madagas Madagascar. And today, I'm recording this on Monday, uh, he goes to the small uh, country of Mauritius. And um, I was really struck by the tone of voice of Pope Francis there. He, um, of course, had big celebrations like the other day, I think was this Sunday, in Madagascar. More than a million people came to Mass. It's insane. That's more than some of the World Youth Days. In a very poor country, the this lo location of the Mass was completely outside of any big city. People walked maybe for days just to be there and welcome the Pope that, uh, according to the reports that I read, really for them is the Pope of the poor, the Pope who identifies with the poor and, and wants to be with them. And, 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 and so I, I, you can tell the warmth of his tone of voice there. He really feels connected to, to the people in, in need. Um, he also went off script quite a bit of, uh, a bit, uh, for, for quite a bit of his uh, official visit. So he went to visit um, a convent of of nuns and he didn't read one letter from his prepared speech and instead he just had a conversation with these sisters and he said two things that really struck me one was he insisted that the moment you feel that your inner peace is endangered by the actions of one of your superiors report it and that can also be someone a priest who may seem from the outside like a very respectable person, if that person does something, and of course the Pope is also hinting to abuse, go and report it and do something. Don't stay silent. Find other sisters, uh, get together and, uh, and do something about it. Raise your voices. And he said that to nuns that are bound by uh, the vow of obedience. And I think Pope Francis is well aware of the fact that this vow has its dangers. It can be abused if there's no transparency in these organizations. And the Catholic Church has paid a, a tremendous price for the lack of transparency in the past, not to mention the victims of abuse uh, that have that are still paying the price for the rest of the, their lives. So, but but seeing how the Pope 
put this on top of his agenda when talking to these sisters. I thought it was great, great, and I hope that that will will be a message that gets heard all over the planet. Because this can uh, happen in so many different situations. The the second thing that touched me in his conversation with the sisters was that he he uh, shared a very personal aspect of his prayer life and of his personal devotion to a religious sister that he says still helps him on a daily basis. And that happens to be my favorite patron saint, Saint Therese of Lisieux. Or... If you want to pronounce it correctly, in French, Sainte Thérèse de l'Enfant Jésus. Thérèse de Lisieux. That's how you pronounce it, not Thérèse of Lisieux. But anyway. <laughs> the, uh, the little Thérèse, uh, she's often compared to the big, the grand, the, the, the more famous Thérèse of Avila. Uh, this is a religious sister in her 20s in France who got sick quite a bit actually died at a very young age, um, but was uh, not only canonized, but is also an official doctor of the church, which means it's a saint who has really helped the church understand something fundamental about Christian life, morals, theology. And in this, in this case, St. Therese of Lisieux, or Therese de Lisieux, is a doctor of the church because she has taught the church the simplicity of the road to God. Her whole attitude in life was, if God is a father and we are children, then our salvation and our relationship with God does not depend on our qualities, on everything we do or accomplish. The quality of my relationship with God is determined by, by the smallness, uh, by my ability to be childlike, not childish, but childlike, to be trusting, to be open, to, to, to be transparent, to always ask for help if you can't do something yourself. And Therese of Lisieux has shown that in her short life here on earth. And Pope Francis said, she is a daily example for me and a daily help. He, he, he talked to the sisters there in Madagascar about Therese as if she was his companion in, in day-to-day life. And he said one of the things that Therese helped him do was to not be stubborn and neurotic. He says, I can sometimes be very neurotic. I was like, wow, that, well, you, you're good at hiding it because we don't really notice. Uh, but apparently, of course, with the weight of his, his job as uh, the leader of the Catholic Church, uh, there are a lot of things to get upset about. And uh, he has, has admitted in, in other interviews that he can be controlling. Um, he's, he's good at governing, but that can also sometimes maybe make him too controlling and perhaps create unrest because he can't, he can't always control a situation or fix everything or accomplish what you want to do. And then Therese has taught him to step back, to relax, and to... Put it on God's table. Um, and, and, and he even said, sometimes I don't want to listen to her. And sometimes she wants to tell me something, and I just don't want to listen. I'm too neurotic. I was like, oh, not now, not now. But then I, I, says Pope Francis, I always come back to her, and she's always right. I mean, who would have ever thought that we would hear a pope talk like that in public about his most personal prayer life? I 
I found that so touching and so edifying and, and in many ways uh, encouraging for me to uh, to have a similar attitude towards the saints that accompany us. They're not just people from the past whose writings you read or whose example you try to emulate. They're living members of the church and they can help you personally in your private situation. But then you need to listen to them. You need to uh, ask for their help. And so... I, my vocation started with Therese of Lisieux, and she's always been there in the background, uh, hopefully praying for me, but also helping me. And this small encounter, and this was just a minor detail in this Africa trip of Pope Francis, but it touched me so much, and it really uh, uh, encouraged me to go to go back and read some more of of Therese de Lisieux, and uh, and pray to her more often because I can. Use all the help I can get. So that was what struck me. There's, of course, much more to say about uh, this visit to Africa. It's not, it's not over yet. The moment I'm uh, recording this and Pope Francis is still uh, on the last, I think the last day of his visit. But I already wanted to share this with you. One final thing. I'm recording this on September the 9th. And you may have forgotten if you listen to this the next day or maybe weeks later that September 9th is International Buy Your Priest a Beer Day. So in case you didn't do that, put it in your calendar for next year. <laughs> That's entirely self-serving here. Um, no, no, I'm good. I still actually have some beer in the fridge. <laughs> but last year, someone brought me some beer. That was so kind. It was actually someone here in the neighborhood. I think I posted it on Twitter. And that person saw it in, in Twitter. You can look uh, for tweets in your own neighborhood. And he saw that tweet and he brought me some beer. He wasn't even a Catholic. <laughs> Just saying. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. I was uh, too busy last week to go to the movies, but I did watch uh, a few things on Netflix and on Prime Video uh, that I just want to mention here briefly. I continue to watch Stranger Things Season 3. And whoa, it gets really scary. I think I watched episode 5 yesterday. Wow, that is so scary, that series. And it's so well acted. It continues to, to impress me. And, and this season is so different from previous seasons. And you start to discover more of what's going on underneath the, the, the small town where all these, these scary things happen. And it's just great writing. This season started off a bit slow. But it introduced also a couple of new characters, which are great. And just visually... The series is masterfully done. This is so much like my own childhood in the 80s. And I recognize so much of the stuff that maybe... I, I, I kind of wonder someone who is born after the year 2000, which is true for a number of you, um, how you perceive a series like this. Because you have not lived in that time. So is, does this look like uh, uh, ancient history? Or For me, it's just like, yeah, oh yeah, that's exactly what things the the way the world worked in those days except for of course for the scary monsters underneath the surface of your village 
<laughs> but it's so enjoyable and it's so well done. I really hope they get another season. I don't actually know if they're going to continue this for for how many seasons they're still going to do this for for Netflix. I think Stranger Things is one of their staple series and maybe very important for them to keep their customers and their subscribers after Disney Plus launches in November. Because for some people, this will be a bit too much. You can't, all these services, whether it is Apple Music or Netflix, Prime Video, um, in the United States, you've got Hulu and sports channels. You have to pay on a monthly basis for all these services. And some people will start to economize and maybe choose between Disney Plus and, and Netflix. And if you've got kids, then Disney will probably win. If you're a Star Wars fan, Disney will probably win. If you like this, the Avengers and the Marvel Universe, Disney Plus will definitely win. So uh, Netflix may want to keep uh, Stranger Things going for a, for a couple more seasons, but the, the, the trouble is they're working with children and kids, actors, and of course they age. So that is always a challenge. Look at Harry Potter, at Narnia, all these movies that have recurring uh, uh, child actors coming back. And then sometimes they change or they may not even be interested in doing television anymore and need to be recast. Um, it is very, very tough to do that. But something tells me that Netflix is not going to let go of Stranger Things anytime soon. And and I hope, and, and this is must be a challenge in general, a creative challenge. How do you make big franchises? Because, of course, Netflix keeps just pumping out all these documentaries and series, and there, but there is so much. Sometimes I'm just browsing through the Netflix collection and, like, I end up watching something on Prime Video because Prime Video has a much smaller catalog and it makes it easier for me to pick something. And with Netflix, I was like, oh, there's just too much. I don't know what to pick. <laughs> it's so stupid. Or I start watching something and then I was like, oh, but I also want to watch this and I want to watch this and I, just, I don't bother anymore checking it out. So too much of a good thing can also be a bad thing. That is something I think that uh, all these these streaming services will have to somehow tackle. And I think that you will see way more cancellations, maybe of, of high-profile series than, than ever before because they can't afford to keep all these series going when nobody watches them. We'll see. We'll see. Um, on, on Prime Video, which is Amazon-owned, it's just called Prime in the Netherlands, not, not Amazon Prime. Uh, I watched uh, a movie uh, from 2009 called The Invention of Lying. It just popped up in the recommendation, so I, I clicked on it and started watching it. It's written and directed by Ricky Gervais, uh, who is the comedian who, pl who played uh, the boss in the original version, the British version of The Office, and who has made a career out of being a, a bit of a controversial comedian, very dark, cynical humor. Uh, he's a very open, uh, openly an atheist, but one of the the religious versions. <laughs> Sometimes you have atheists that are more religious in their attitude than than people that adhere to a religion. It's not enough for them to not believe in God, but they make it a goal in their life to convince everyone else that God is a fairy tale and you should not believe in it. And then sometimes atheism in the, that form gets all the characteristics of a religion. <laughs> so 
contradictory. But anyway, that's also something that you notice in this movie, the invention of lying. Not at first. It starts uh, with, a, I think, a, a funny plot device. So, a bit reminded me a bit of the Truman Show. In the Truman Show, everything is fake. You live in this kind of uh, virtual world where everything is a slightly different from the world you know. Well, in this movie, uh, the alternate reality um, is a town where people don't know what lying is. Everybody speaks the truth. And that creates, of course, a lot of funny situations where people will just say anything that crosses their mind. How are you today? Well, I feel terrible, but, you know, you look terrible, and uh, you're overweight, and <laughs> they, say, they keep, you know, exchanging these insults as if it's totally normal to do that, and uh, because everybody tells the truth. Um, it, that it brings me to the first criticism that I have of the, of the movie, and the very first part of the movie, there is a, the, 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 the main character, played by Ricky Gervais, goes on a date, and it gets very vulgar right away because people just say what's in their mind and that's pretty vulgar. So I was like, Ugh, come on, do really? So that was the first thing I was like, I probably can't recommend this movie. But then it just goes on and, and they the, the writing is pretty creative and I'm thinking, where is this going? What's the point of this? And of course, the main character accidentally learns how to lie. And that makes him super rich. And, and, and then the movie uh, becomes a little bit like uh, Groundhog Day, where the main character, Bill Murray's character, has an advantage because he already knows what's going to happen, so he can manipulate people. In this case, Ricky Gervais' character is able to manipulate people because he's the only one in the world that knows how to lie. And so he gets really rich, and he tries to win back his, the, the, the women who uh, dumped him basically on his first date, for a good reason. And... Um, but then it comes to, and that's where the atheist ideology suddenly pops up. What happens then, the story takes a twist when his mother, uh, who's already very old, is dying. And he visits his mom and she basically says that she's scared to die because that will, you know, that's the end of everything. And after death, there is only an eternity of nothingness. And the character played by Ricky Gervais is is moved by that, and he tells a lie to his, uh, or at least in the framework of the movie and the framework of probably also Ricky Gervais personally, he tells the lie that no, 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 after death there is eternal life and it's wonderful, and you're going to be together with all the people that have died before you, and it is wonderful, and everybody is happy for eternity. So basically. The movie positions that or poses that uh, the belief in eternal life is a lie, and it's a lie that people tell each other because they don't want to to confront each other with the 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 de de definitive nature of death. And that's of course when I'm starting to get the idea that this movie wants to wants to do more than to entertain. This is an atheist manifesto and that the rest of the movie kind of proves my point because not only does he lie about the afterlife which certainly leaks out and and the entire world is baffled like oh so there is proof of life after death because well 
this character says it and we can't lie. Well, they don't even know what lie, lying is, so everybody believes it. And then he starts to expand on that lie and saying, well, he has regular conversations with the guy from above, with God, etc., etc. And then there is a development more in his personal uh, situation with that girlfriend where he discovers that lying also has its disadvantages and that manipulating people is not good. So there's a bit of morality that his, his conscience starts to work. But the movie does not correct this um, this idea that that uh, the entirety of, of religion is a lie that people tell each other to comfort each other, which I think is a tremendous reduction of what religion is uh, and and uh, of the function of religion in, in people's lives. Um, and it also came across as very pretentious, very irrespectful of, or disrespectful of people's belief because the movie re- kind of really reduces it to basically says anyone who believes in a god or in life after death is stupid. It's really stupid because well, it's just a stupid lie. And I was like, ugh, here we go again. So that really irritated me about this uh, this movie. Um, so I would not recommend it. Oh, I mean, it won't hurt you. It, 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 but it's an interesting talking point, of course, is it? because this is a, a, a way of reasoning that you see a lot with atheists around you. Um, and it's something you need to be pre- prepared to, well, to, to counter and and uh, we are all called uh, if we if we believe to bear witness of our faith and to also be ready to explain why we believe and why for us it's more than just a fairy tale or a lie, um, and and not to try to go the easy way of uh, either being ashamed of what you believe in or think or, or uh, referring it to other people. Let 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 the priest re- explain it. That's something for a theologian. No, we, if you believe in life after death. Ask yourself why you believe in that and why, why it's not a lie for you, why it's not just a fairy tale. Um, so the, the, thinking about movies like this could uh, help you think more about your faith because that's what we're called to do. Faith is not just irrational, irrational behavior. It's not just, well, I'll just believe it because someone told me to believe it. No, faith also challenges you rationally. Faith uh, demands reason, and reason will lead to faith. Uh, at least in philosophy, that's what it could do, because there are questions that you can't answer with science or you know the with with the, the with answers from from this world. Uh, most of the more most important questions in life, and that's where I think the movie kind of glances over something very vital. What happens in the story? Morality. Where does this conscience come from that he has? That he, where he realizes that, wait a minute, I can't manipulate people. Um, that conscience is very hard to explain by uh, just you know interest, self-interest, or, or anything. Because he makes a moral choice which costs him something. Honesty costs, but he pays a price for that. Why? If there is no life after this life, if there are no consequences for sin, which is basically the kind of what, the, what this character first discovers, then why bother telling the truth? Why bother you know, not manipulating anything? So there is something that is missing in this movie. After all, it's just a movie. <laughs> and with that, it is time for the Peculiar Bunch, even though we're already deep into religious rock, topics. Rock, Catholics, rock! 
here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And today I kind of want to follow Pope Francis' example and share um, something a bit more personal about my prayer life and my faith. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. So the other day I was reading a number of emails that I got and, and comments in both on YouTube and Facebook um, that that were a result of the, the news, you probably have read it as well, or heard it, that a priest in the, in the United States had put the books of Harry Potter on uh, the list of banned books, which I think in itself is already probably a bad idea to have a list like that. But anyway, and that restarted the entire controversy that I've seen many, many times ever since the first books of Harry Potter came out between Christians and also some Catholics um, waging war on Harry Potter, accusing J.K. Rowling of perverting youth uh, by manipulating them into uh, all sorts of witch witchcraft uh, 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 activities, um, the spells in the books would be real spells, and, and uh, J.K. Rowling was, uh, was uh, deliberately doing research in dark magic so that the children, thinking that they're just reading an entertaining story, are going to be perverted and lured into the clutches of the devil. <sighs> Give me a break. It's a fairy tale. It's fiction. Children know very well that the Hulk, although he is very cool, does not exist in real life. And children know very well that magic in the Harry Potter books is fictional. The entire story is fictional. But anyway, there's still so many concerned Christians and Catholics. And So, so I post this on Facebook. I was like, here we go again. I kind of write again why I've done this. If you've been a long-time listener to my shows, you know exactly where I stand on this. Harry, The Harry Potter saga is a fantastic saga, a very moral story that teaches children about friendship, about hatred and evil versus selfishness, uh, versus selflessness, I should say, and self-sacrifice, and also teaches children that there is something way more uh, powerful and deeper than any kind of magic, and that is love, and more specifically, sacrificial love. How more Christian will you can you get? J.K. Rowling herself has said that her own Christian background has played a major role in the way she told the story, and yet people don't believe it. That rather believe all sorts of fear mongering online, and and so you can imagine what happened. My Facebook page got shared almost a hundred times, and war immediately broke out. And I just stopped reading after a while. I was like, I'm not even going to moderate this anymore. Because it's, it's another uh, one of those occasions where it's like politics. Um, we, nobody really listens to the other person. They're just trying to, 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 uh, to shout what they believe and anyone who doesn't agree is not just someone who 
they disagree with, but is an enemy, is a, is a, is a tool of the devil, is a medieval uh, idiot who believes in the devil. And, and so uh, you immediately get this huge fight, which is the total opposite of what I think the story of Harry Potter wants to teach us. And the same happens in the world of Star Wars, and where, where, you know, you get these so-called Star Wars fans that just take any op- occasion that they can find to, to hate on the new movies and, and, and uh, reject Disney for their propaganda and, and, and just, like, so, okay, that's one thing if you don't like it. But why are you attacking anyone who has a different opinion? It's just this atmosphere. Um, and most of it is, I have to be honest, is American. The, the worst reactions in that thread are American reactions. And I think it is totally linked to the overall climate in the United States. It's such a polarized society. And it's, it's vitriolic. It is very toxic. And it, it, uh, I think it is a, a temptation um, that may actually be diabolical in nature because the devil divides people. And instead of, uh, of what Jesus asks us, and that is to love your enemy, to love your enemy, pray for those that persecute you, instead the devil tries to convince us that we need to combat anyone who doesn't agree with us. Also, lures us into believing that we are always right. So... That is pride, to think that you always know what's best for the other person. Um, and, and, and when humility, and um, it's a beautiful old-fashioned world, word, meekness, when that is absent in any discussion, you know that the devil is there. And so my question is, how can you stay calm in a climate like that? How not to fall for the temptation to go yell at other people and hate on them just because they don't think like you. Even though you may be totally convinced that your worldview is, is the only right one. And yet, the moment you start to hate your neighbor, you're not doing what Jesus asks you to do. Because he, wants you, he tells you to love your neighbor and to love those that persecute, persecute you. <laughs> your enemies, let alone the dissenters. Uh, that should be much more easier to do, to love them, than people that actually try to cut your throat, right? So those are, for me, this is a very important question for your spiritual life. How do you not fall for that temptation to go to war and, and to go to war on things that really don't matter in the long run? Well, and, and what is the difference between a healthy debate and a flame war? Well, that last question is easy to answer. What is the difference? Civility, respect, kindness, um, patience. If all those virtues are absent, then you're not doing the right thing and you'd better shut up. (laughs) And I I also tell myself this. Um, Here are a few things that I try to do because, of course, I'm not happy when I see that happening. I always try to create a climate in, for instance, in the chat rooms of my live streams, uh, but also on my Facebook pages, in the programs that I make, a climate where everyone feels respected and feels safe and can be who they are or be at the stage in life where they are, even though that may not be what I wish for them or hope for them or pray for them. 
but that they still can feel that 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 they can be who they are. Um, because I think that friendship is the basis of everything, also of growth, spiritual growth. In the moment you don't feel that friendship, but you feel hatred and 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 disrespect, um, then you can't grow anymore, and 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 uh, people raise their defenses. So I'm not happy with that, and yet uh, there are a few things that I did this weekend to to try to prevent myself from falling in. Uh, in in the trap of also becoming hateful and spiteful and aggressive online. The first and most important one for me is prayer. When I pray the Liturgy of the Hours, I pray texts that are hundreds, thousands of years old. These texts talk about human nature, about persecution, about suffering. And it teaches me that things never change. People are people. And the things that were, were, were hurting people in the past are also hurting people today. And what, you, what I learned from the Psalms, most, most importantly, is that when you feel threatened, and you can also feel threatened when someone, according to you, spreads falsehoods or is not a good priest or perverts people or whatever, what the Psalms always do is Go to God. He will be your rock. He will be your strength. He will tell you what to say. He will uh, protect you and, and, and save you. So that is what the Psalms help me to do, is to, instead of fighting back and relying on my own verbal wits to convince other people, go to God and bring it to Him. If you're worried about something... Well, you can, of course, always calmly explain your position, but if it doesn't convince other people, go to God. Cause, <laughs> and that's the second thing. Uh, the, my second tip is realize that you cannot change people. God can change people. So your attitude towards your neighbor should always be an attitude of humility. You can try to help someone, but if that person does not accept your help, there's nothing you can do. And you... You can't force love on people. In those cases, you have to be humble and humbly and, and recognize that you can't change other people. You can't fix other people. God can. So go to God instead of trying to beat yourself up of not, not you know, being uh, uh, convincing enough and then just piling up on the, the posts because you want, you want to be right. You want to win this is not a contest. A conversation is not a game that you win. Uh, have that attitude of, of service. How can I help you? What will you see Jesus do time and again? When he encounters people, even sick people, or, or a, a beggar on the side of the road, he asks them, he looks them in the eye, and he asks them, how, what do you want me to do? How can I help, basically? Emulate that attitude. Um, step back and do the Back to the Future test. Back to the Future, in the second movie, uh, Marty McFly goes to the future. And then he sees that everything around him has changed. Well, of course, he's in 2015, all of a sudden, instead of the 80s. Um, sometimes, mentally, I try to do the same. And I ask myself, in 20 years from now, what is of this entire debate this entire discussion will still matter does this still matter even a year from now if not 
Why am I getting so upset about this? Why can't I sleep about this? Why uh, is my inner peace gone? Those are all signs that you're not doing the right thing when your inner peace disappears. When you get stressed and, and angry from, from discussions that you take part in. Um, so do the back to the future test. Will this still matter if I'm flying around in my DeLorean 20 years from now? A lot of things will disappear. <laughs> and, uh, well, that, that's basically it. And I'd like to know if you have any other tips uh, on how to stay calm and how to... Because it's, it's, it also, I think, uh, the virtue of prudence that I talk about, talked about last week or the week before, the virtue of prudence is also a virtue that you can ask God to give you or help you build, which is the, the, the uh, let's say, the, the clarity of mind, and it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, of course, he can help with that, to discern when to say something and how to say it, and when to not say something. So how to apply the general rules of your duty, the commandment to love your neighbor, how and when to apply that online in difficult situations. It is not something that we immediately know how to do, and we will stumble and fall sometimes and hurt other people by our tone or by the things that we say. Ask for that virtue of prudence, and also... Be man or woman enough to ask forgiveness if you notice that you've truly hurt someone by the way you said something online. That too, asking forgiveness has never diminished someone. It always makes you grow in, uh, in, in, in holiness. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? And it's time for our little book review. And today I just wanted to mention that I continue to read Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Great book. I have it read to me by my Alexa device. I have one Alexa Echo. And I'm still so uh, impressed by the, the, the quality of the reading of the Alexa. It's just one voice. That's kind of what I miss from uh, Google. Well, I don't miss it because I also have Google devices. But Google has m way more natural voices. With Alexa, it's just this one female voice. I wish they had more voices that I could choose between. Uh, but the reading itself, I, I was just the other day, I was looking for the audiobook. I wanted to play the book in Audible and I couldn't find it. It's like, but I bought the book. Why, why don't I have this on Audible? And then I realized, well, wait a minute. I've been listening to a computer voice reading the book, and it's that good that I actually, in my mind, I, I remembered it as if it, I had been listening to an Audible recording. Now, Audible, of course, in reality, is still way better than, than what Alexa can pull off. But still, it is amazing. And I hope that Google and Apple will catch up with their voice technology because I'm blown away by the quality. You can totally read an entire book um, just using uh, text-to-speech technology of Alexa. And for me, it's unrivaled. It's so natural. Um, and this will only get better in the years to come. 
The other uh, book that I wanted to mention here is a book that I just bought because it was on sale. It's called Rebel Rising, written by Beth Revis. This is also a Star Wars novel. However, this one is based on Jin Erso's life. And if you've forgotten who that is, that is the main character of Rogue One. So this, uh, uh, this young woman who has been raised, uh, actually who lost her parents. Her father is uh, abducted by the Empire and needs to work on the Death Star. Her mother is killed killed by the imperial soldiers and she's uh, um, uh, brought to Saw Gerrera um, who is this kind of freedom fighter that raises her uh, and helps her to become a rebel. Here is the description of the book from the publisher. When Jin Erso is eight years old, her mother is murdered and her father taken from her to serve the empire. But despite the loss of her parents, she's not completely alone. Saw Guerrera, a man willing to go to any extremes necessary to resist imperial tyranny, takes her in as his own daughter and gives her not only a home, but all the abilities and resources she needs to become a rebel. Jin dedicates herself to the cause and the man. But fighting alongside Saw and his people brings with it danger and the question of just how far Jin is willing to go as one of Saw's soldiers. When she faces an unthinkable betrayal that shatters her world, Jin will have to pull the pieces of herself back together and figure out what she truly believes in and whom she can really trust. I like that. I really like that because it will give her character in the movie Rogue One more depth. That's why I like these prequel novels. They can sometimes take elements from... And Star Wars is really good at that. Taking stuff that is just mentioned very briefly in the movies, expand upon it, and the next time you watch that movie, you're like, oh, but I know I know that character, and I know the backstory, and it makes it so much more enjoyable to see these, these characters. And also really helps to fill in the blanks. Star Wars is always going at a super fast pace, so you can't always process everything that's in there and they don't have time to develop all the characters uh, Hux is another character General Hux a uh, great character but so little screen time and well they did some novels about him that I want to read because it will help do what the movies themselves can't do and then I also picked up uh, a book by a writer that I don't really like that much Philip Pullman who is the author of His Dark Materials which is a fantasy series about a girl that discovers parallel worlds and travels into one of those, um, but then turns into, especially in the second half of the second book and the third book, into also a, a bit of an atheist, anti, more than atheist, an anti-Catholic manifesto, really obnoxious. Um, but lots of fans, and uh, BBC is currently working on a TV series based on, uh, on his dark materials. So something I... Wanted to read, again, I'm not trying to do what I blame other people for when it comes to Harry Potter, because almost all the critics that I saw online had not read the books. I don't need to read the books! The, the, the papal, uh, the papal uh, um, uh, exorcist has said that the books are uh, satanic, so I'm not going to read them. They're talking about Father Amorth, who labeled himself erroneously as the official Vatican exorcist. There is no such thing as a Vatican exorcist. So he was, I think, sometimes overselling his own importance. And I've read quite a few articles and interviews with Amorth, and I happen to know also some other priests that know what they're talking about and are exorcists and have a very different take on things 
than Father Armorth. So he is heralded as uh, the Vatican's book. He's dead, by the way. He died last year. But a lot of the stuff you read with Armorth, I'm thinking, even as a theologian, as a Orthodox Catholic uh, theologian, I'm thinking he's going way too far. And uh, he, you know, I, I respect his his experience as an exorcist, but and being a good exorcist doesn't make you a good theologian. <laughs> that's not the way. That's not the way faith works. So I have a lot of theological questions about you know certain aspects of what he said, and and you know his opinion about Harry Potter was not informed by the books. He has not read them, um, so that makes me not take him seriously on that point. And uh, I have I have the freedom to disagree. And as a theologian, and as a someone who knows what he's talking about when it comes to fiction, um, I think that what he said is uh, is one sided and is not correct and doesn't do justice to to the books. Well, anyway, how did I get on this tangent? Um, oh yeah. So if you really want to worry about a children's book author that may pervert children and may be a danger to their faith, look at Philip Pullman, because he's very overtly anti-Catholic and really sees it as his mission to convince children and a younger generation of the fact that religion is rubbish and God does not exist. Worry about that. Rile against that instead of J.K. Rowling. Anyway, so I bought the book of Dust La Belle Sauvage, which is um, a new trilogy that he's writing. The second book has just come out, I think. Um, and it's not a sequel or a prequel, but it is a concurrental. <laughs> is that a word? So the story that in these books happens at the same time as the events in his Dark Materials. So I'm going to read it, if only to know what I'm criticizing and why I'm criticizing it. And I wish that more people would do that. All right. With that, it is time to wrap things up with we a little are tech on the segment here. edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Well... Who knows? Will there be one more thing uh, during the Apple keynote, uh, which is happening the day after I'm recording this, so I can't really talk about what happened there. You already know if you listen to this after Tuesday. Um, but anyway, uh, there's always kind of the hope, but it has been uh, squashed so many times in the past that Apple will finally come with something revolutionary, something that makes us all go, Oh my goodness! Mm, but I kind of... Hmm. I got disappointed a, a bit too often in the past, so we'll see. Anyway, uh, I've been playing uh, more Skyrim VR this weekend, and it is fully playable. As I said, I'm using AL... AS... Oh, now I forgot. Well, anyway, I've uh, go back to the previous episode if you want to know more about that. There is a, a, a free app. And, and it streams, basically, Steam VR games to your Oculus Go or Oculus Quest headset, and it works really well. So I've been playing Skyrim VR a bit more, and it is totally working as a game. I was walking around there, and it is very blurry. That's kind of the only downside, because it's uh, um, they, they really simplified the graphics so that you could play this in VR. So that's one issue. 
But then also, you stream an HD picture over Wi-Fi to a headset. Um, so everything does get kind of blurry uh, over time. Plus, of course, these first-generation virtual reality headsets don't have the sharpest screens. But this is a promise of what we can probably do a couple of years from now. And if we get like twice the resolution and three, four times the horsepower of these initial VR headsets, I promise you, <laughs> everyone will switch to VR when it comes to video games because the immersion of a, of a game like Skyrim is so huge. And I've played this game many times in the past. But now that I'm inside that game, it is a totally different experience. And I feel way more that I am there. And even inconsequential little details make much more of an impact on me than they did when I was just watching this game uh, default, uh, unfold in 2D. So it was a lot of fun. Also noticed uh, for the first time that I was getting a little bit nauseous because I'm doing a lot of kind of wandering around. The, had the game or the emulator tries to help with that by narrow, narrowing your uh, field of view when you're walking around. So if you move, if you run, all of a sudden the edges of your, of your view will get dark. And so you only see what's right in front of you, and apparently that helps with the nausea. But uh, I had to really um, slow down uh, every once in a while because I was just getting a little bit seasick. All that probably problems that will uh, get resolved uh, in the future. And also, it's uh, because we're just not used to using this technology. It may very well be that our, our bodies and our minds will, will learn how to deal with uh, the, the slightly um, disconcerting nature of VR. But for the game, for the immersion, whoa, bring it on. I want to walk around in the world of Star Wars now, which I could do if I had an Oculus Quest. But... Uh, is, we're, we're on the verge of so many cool developments. Maybe Apple, too, will will uh, uh, play a role in this with their mixed reality stuff and the uh, augmented reality things that they're developing. But uh, it's coming. Whether it's from Apple or from Oculus or all of them together, this is, this is a technology that is here to stay, I think. So that was very cool. Also on a totally different level, uh, something else that made me really excited, and that is YouTube is going to add the ability for us creators to create quick highlights from live streams. That is something that I've always wanted to do, but because it's such a hassle, I never did. I record this show live, and I also stream it live on YouTube. And while I'm speaking here, there are a number of people in the chat room that are posting comments and uh, are watching this, or they may have it in the background. The, the nature of this show, however, is very eclectic. I talk about movies, I give a book review, I talk about spirituality. And it, after I've streamed this, I can see this in the statistics. Almost no one goes back and, and re-watches this. This is something you watch live or you don't watch it at all. The same is true for my Lego streams. It's fun to be there when it happens and to have that live interaction. But sometimes during those Lego streams, I have really good conversations or people ask me a question and I take some time to answer it because it's, you know, it's even more relaxed than a podcast. I can say anything. And then I was like, wow, I wish this, this conversation was not hidden away in an hour and a half of boring Lego building. Because a lot of the, of the Lego streams go like this. If you would turn this into a podcast, you would hear, hmm, 
I wonder where this piece go. Oh, 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 oh. The, so this goes here and this goes there. Um, where is this white piece? Uh, I think I put it in this container. Uh, it's not there. Is it there? Where is it? Hold on. I'm going to take a look. And I'm, you hear nothing for an this, there's no way in the world that you could repost that in in a, in a po in the form of a podcast or anything. So YouTube now gives us or will give us because it's not live at least not on my account the ability to create short uh, highlights of a live stream and then I'm like oh this is going to be so awesome because now I can go back to my old podcast recordings or my live streams and I can just take out for instance the movie review. Here is my movie review of. Uh, the Star Wars uh, movie or whatever, or a book review. And I, and you can post them as separate videos. So, and hopefully you'll also be able to add a new thumbnail to it. That would be even cooler. But this way I could take some of the stuff that I've discussed during my Lego streams and make it available to a much larger audience that don't doesn't care for the Lego, but does care for the content. So, yeah. I was very happy to see that. Of course, proof is in the pudding. I don't know how, how easy it will be in reality, but it's pretty cool to see that YouTube is listening to its creators and give us these tools to make it easier to reach a wider audience. Again, if you want to see me live on YouTube, make sure you are subscribed to my YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash Father Roderick. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Take care and God bless.